Well, good morning, everybody. Glad you're here today. So I want to start by showing you a picture. How many of you, just by raising your hand, would say that you've seen this picture on somebody's wall or screensaver or something like that? How many of you have seen this picture? Okay, quite a few of you. That makes sense. This picture is one of the most copied, most printed, most made out of posters. Uh, some of you, I know I've seen this uh, on here, but sometimes they have the word courage down there, right? And they, they have some kind of uh, inspirational phrase or whatever the case is. But this is an amazing picture. Now, what's really cool, let's leave that picture up there for just a moment, because this picture, the reason I showed you this picture is because this picture has an interesting backstory to it. So obviously you can see in the picture, you see the lighthouse keeper in the doorway. He's kind of stepped out of that door just as this massive, monstrous wave is about to engulf the entire lower section of that lighthouse. And that's kind of why it's intriguing. There's this powerful picture, but there's this imminent danger of that guy being swept into the ocean and certainly to his death. Now, What's interesting is this lighthouse keeper's name is Thomas Malgore. And this picture is of a lighthouse called La Jumet. It's right off the coast of France. It's a real lighthouse. You can go there to this day and see this lighthouse. The lighthouse survived the storms. And this guy, Thomas Malgore, he actually steps out of the lighthouse because he heard a helicopter. Now, the reason he stepped out and the reason he was excited to see the helicopter is because he and his crew in the lighthouse were due to be rescued by a helicopter because the lighthouse had been damaged and it was actually flooding in this moment. The storm has, had gotten ready to kind of engulf the lighthouse and they weren't sure if the lighthouse and if they were going to be able to survive. And so a helicopter had been sent to rescue them. And so when he heard the helicopter, that's why he opened the door and stepped outside to see the helicopter. The problem was it wasn't a rescue helicopter. It was a photographer that had hired a helicopter to take pictures of the storm. The photographer's name is John Guichard. Yes, we're in Europe, right? Really cool names. Jean Guichard was the photographer, and he sees this iconic moment where Thomas Malgore steps out of the lighthouse, and in the moment when they're just passing by this lighthouse, he starts taking pictures, and this massive wave crashes against the lighthouse in that moment. How perfect was the timing? Now, the question becomes that everybody kind of likes this picture for is, did Thomas Malgore survive? this moment. Well, what's interesting is the photographer, Jean Guichard, kept snapping pictures. In fact, I want to show you, I don't know if this is the last one, but it's one of the last ones. Go to that next picture. And it's high enough hard to see because it's really dark, but do you see that the lighthouse keeper has mostly disappeared? That's because he knows that that wave is about to kill him. And he steps in. That's actually the back of him. He's going back inside and he slams the door just in time before the wave washes him off the lighthouse and into certain death. Just makes it. And the photographer and the lighthouse keeper become famous because of this one picture that I just showed you before. Kind of a cool backstory, isn't it? 
It's really interesting because they did a, an interview with the lighthouse keeper and the photographer 20 years later, and the lighthouse keeper said, normally we would never step out and open that door during a storm like that, but I really wanted to see if that was the rescue helicopter, and it ended up not being, and then there's this iconic photo that was made that we've been printing for the last couple of decades. Well, I bring that up because everybody loves a good backstory don't they? Everybody loves the origin story. Everybody loves why did this iconic moment happen? Where did it come from? What happened that led to this amazing moment? Well, the reason I bring that up is because today we're starting a brand new series, a brand new sermon series called Backstory. We're going to talk about, for the next several weeks, we're going to look at iconic moments in God's Word, in the Bible, amazing stories that happen, but we're not going to look just at the story or the moment that happened. We're going to actually start telling the backstory to the moment. We're going to dig a little bit deeper and go backwards in time. We're going to go before all of this stuff happened, and we're going to look at the backstories to the moments or to the stories in God's Word, in the Bible. And so, it may seem like a weird place to start, but I want to start with a moment right after Jesus has died on the cross. A lot of us here know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and for mine. That's why he went to the cross. He died for us. He sacrificed himself. God sacrificed himself for us. And so Jesus was crucified on a cross, and where I'm going to pick up a story is in John chapter 19, and it's at the moment when Jesus has just died, and so somebody needs to take care of Jesus' body. Again, how many of you have had a sermon start with this moment? Probably not most of us. But there's a reason, and you'll get why after we get into the message. So let me read, after this very important moment, Jesus has just died on the cross. He has not been taken down yet. Now we're going to read what happens. John chapter 19, I'm going to start with verse 38. Afterward, that's after Jesus had died, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate, who was the authority in this case, for permission to take down Jesus' body. Now when Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so, because it was the day of preparation of the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. So Jesus dies on the cross, and these two guys, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, come to take care of Jesus' body, and there's a tomb that has never been used before, and it's close by, and so they prepare Jesus' body, and they place him in the tomb, and the tomb is sealed. But what I want to ask is, why these two guys? Why Joseph of Arimathea, and why Nicodemus? Now, I'm not going to talk about Joseph of Arimathea today, but I do want to focus on this guy named Nicodemus. Where did he come from? Why was Nicodemus 
taking care of Jesus' body and not one of the disciples. Jesus has spent years with these 12 disciples. Where were they? Nowhere to be found. But there's this guy, this random guy named Nicodemus who takes care of Jesus' body. Why? Where did he come from? What's his backstory? Well, regardless of whether you wanted to know or not, I'm going to tell you today. <laughs> Nicodemus' backstory is very interesting. So, Let's talk about Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Now, when I say he was a Pharisee, we go, oh yeah. Some of us are like, yeah, totally get it. Most of us go, cool, no clue what that is, right? Totally get it. A Pharisee was very simply a Bible expert. Now, understand they did, they did not have the New Testament. So the New Testament, this whole section of the Bible, didn't exist for them. All they had was this section, the Old Testament, Okay? And so he was an expert. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, which means he was an expert in the Bible. He could quote the Old Testament backwards and forwards. He knew it in every way, shape, and form. All right? Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was also part of a very high council called the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin was kind of like the highest uh, ruling authority of the land for the Jewish people and for, um, for the nation of Israel. They would rule uh, kind of like a court. They would rule administratively. They would make laws. Uh, they would tell, basically, they would tell people what to do. They would tell people how to do it. And they would tell people what not to do. That's essentially what the Sanhedrin did. It was a group of 70 men, usually wealthy and elite, that kind of controlled everybody else. Okay? And so Nicodemus was on this council. Now, something else that we need to know about this council is this. They hated Jesus. They did not like Jesus. They were threatened by Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus did not act or live like he was under their authority. Uh, let me just ask you this. How many of you feel really great when your kids act like you have no authority? How many of you just love that? Yeah, you probably don't, right? You feel threatened by that. As parents, we don't say that, but we feel threatened by that. We also are not like, uh, but I'm also the parent. Well, you've got a point there, all right? But we feel threatened when somebody does not respect our authority. And so this high council, the Sanhedrin, they disliked Jesus a lot because Jesus preached and he taught and he healed people and he helped people without their authority. They didn't like Jesus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and he was one of the 70 men on this Sanhedrin, on this council. All right? So that gives you some important context. Now, the, here's the truth. We only hear about Nicodemus three times in the whole Bible. Three times. I read for you the third time just a moment ago. That was the third time that we hear about him. But let me take you to the first two times. Let's go to the first one. So the first time we hear about Nicodemus is when he asks for a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus about theological matters, about God. And so I'm going to pick up in John chapter 3, the first time we hear about Nicodemus, he has asked for an audience with Jesus one-on-one -on -one to have a conversation with him. And I'm not going to read the whole conversation. I encourage you to read it. It's one of the best conversations you're ever going to read about. John chapter 3. 
But what I'm going to read is I'm going to read the first two verses that gives you the context for how Nicodemus came to Jesus. All right? John chapter 3, starting with verse 1 and 2. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader, Pharisee, who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So what do we learn about this conversation? How is it going to go? Well, the first thing that you might notice is what does Nicodemus call Jesus? He uses a title. Did you notice that? What does he call him? Rabbi. Now, in our day and age, in our culture, rabbi doesn't mean a whole lot. Right? We know what a rabbi is. We've maybe heard of what a rabbi is. But in Jesus' culture, rabbi was one of the most honoring, one of the most respectful titles that you could give to anybody. In fact, you would work your whole life sometimes to achieve the title, the level of being called rabbi. It was an amazing term of respect. And so when Nicodemus comes to Jesus and calls him rabbi, he is elevating Jesus to a status that nobody else thinks he deserves. That's a really important clue. It means that Nicodemus, at least on some level, respects Jesus. And if you notice, he also says, Jesus, we know God is with you because clearly all the miraculous signs show that. But he calls him rabbi. Now, That's great. He clearly respects Jesus, but I want to ask you this question. Those of you that have heard me talk on this or have read this conversation before, you already know where I'm going. When did Nicodemus ask to meet with Jesus? What time of day was it? It was night. It was after dark is what it says. It says, after dark one evening. This was very intentional by Nicodemus. Nicodemus respected Jesus, but he was ashamed and embarrassed and scared about who would find out that he was talking to Jesus. There's a reason they met under cover of darkness. Nicodemus did not want anybody to know that he was talking to Jesus in this conversation. And so, we have Nicodemus secretly coming to Jesus to pick his brain about theological things. Now, this is an important reminder for us. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, he respects him, but he doesn't want anybody to know it. What should this remind us of? Well, this is maybe not where your brain was at, but I'm going to take us there. An important reminder from this conversation is this. There are people all throughout your life, at work, in your neighborhood, close friends of yours, family members, the the people that your kids play with, the kids that your kids play with, and the parents of those kids. There are people all throughout your life who are curious about Jesus, but are too embarrassed, too proud, too scared to ask you about it. Just like Nicodemus, he respected Jesus, but he was curious quietly. 
And so Nicodemus goes and meets with Jesus, and he kind of scratches this curiosity. Now, here's the thing. I think that we sometimes have the same problem as Nicodemus. I think we do. I think we respect Jesus, but I think we're embarrassed of him. I really do. In fact, let me, let me kind of try to prove this to you. So there was a book that came out, I don't know, several years ago, early 2010s, 2013, something like that, uh, called The Unchurched Next Door. It was written by a guy named uh, Tom Rayner. And he did a whole bunch of studies on people who go to church and people who don't go to church. And he wrote a book about it. And there was two very interesting statistics in this book. Let me give you two of them. One is not very exciting. One is really helpful. All right? The first statistic that he gives based on his studies, his research was that 98% of people who regularly attend church will never invite another person to church in a calendar year. 98%. That's almost everybody. Just so that we know, you know, 100 would be like everybody. 98's a lot. Right? And why is this a problem? We all know this is a problem. Why? It means that we're acting like Nicodemus. I follow Jesus. Yes, Jesus died for me. This is awesome. But I don't want anybody to know that. Right? And this is a major problem because if you were to start asking around our church, just, just use Northridge. You could use any church for this, but just use Northridge. If you started to tell your story of how you ended up coming to Northridge, Somehow, some way, you either were directly invited by somebody to come here, or you heard about this church from somebody. They didn't necessarily invite you, but they told you about it, or you heard about this church from somebody else. The vast majority of us, you were either invited or you heard about it from another person. Now, did you get a mailer? Sure. Did you see us on the website? Absolutely. Did you check us out? Did you stalk us on the online before you came? My guess is you did. That's the normal way of things, right? But you were invited. 98% don't do that. It's important that we do because there is a lot of people out there that need Jesus that are curious about Jesus. Now, let me give you the really helpful statistic. That one should be helpful in terms of like, okay, I don't want to be the 98%. Okay, good. But this one's really a lot more helpful. Another thing that he found when he talked to people who did not go to church at all is this. This is very, very interesting because I think we think it's opposite of this. Now, again, this is a few years ago, so these percentages probably have changed, but, but probably they're pretty close. And what he found is out of all of the people that do not go to church that he talked to, 82% of them said that they were somewhat likely to attend church if somebody would simply invite them. Some of you believe, you, you can't hardly believe that that's true. Because the people that we think about inviting to church, we're scared of them. We're scared that they're going to call us Jesus freaks, God-fearing, weird. We've moved on from God. Everybody knows God doesn't exist. Everybody knows this is just a bunch of mythological stories. How many of you are scared that somebody's going to say that? I've heard those people say that. It's very rare, by the way. And when I read that 82%, I was like, man, that seems really high. Because I believe the same things you do. 
But when in reality, when I ask people if I can pray for them right then and there, and I actually ask if I can pray with them in that moment, even when they don't believe in God, you know what? Nine times out of 10, 98 times out of 100, they'll say, they'll say yes. I've had one, maybe two people ever, I mean in my whole life, turn me down when I said, can I pray for you? They may not even be comfortable with it. They may not even be sure if they wanted it, but they said yes. And so Nicodemus is, reminds us that there are people all throughout your life who are curious. They're secretly curious about who Jesus is and what Jesus wants and what the Bible says. They're secretly curious. They have this insatiable thing that God put them in, inside them, and they're just too scared or too embarrassed or too proud to ask about it. And so I want to pause before we go to the next part and ask you this question. How are you going to reach them? How are you, you going to reach them? You understand that I can't reach all of them. Your friends are not going to want, if you sick the pastor on them, they're going to be like, we're no longer friends, right? If you send me to their door, or you give me their cell phone and they get a random text from me, so I am so-and-so's pastor, and I was told that you were maybe curious about Jesus, and I'm so I'm reaching out. They're going to be like, what is going on? Leave me alone. Right? Why? Because we don't have a relationship. But guess who does? You. How are you going to reach them? How, what is God asking of you to help bring Jesus to those people like Jesus did for Nicodemus? He was secretly curious, but they met under cover of dark because he wasn't quite ready. So, here's what's interesting. Let's go back to that conversation. They have this conversation under cover of dark. And Jesus talks to him about amazing things. He says, Nicodemus, you have to have a second birth. And Nicodemus is like, what? What are you talking about? I don't understand this. What do you, what do you mean? And he's like, you have to be born again. You have to accept me, Jesus says, you have to have a second, a spiritual birth. You were born physically, but now you need to be born spiritually. And Jesus talks about going into the light and all these things. But here's the interesting thing. At the end of John chapter 3, the conversation just ends. Jesus says something to Nicodemus, and then the conversation ends. Nicodemus doesn't, you know, get on his knees and pray a prayer to Jesus and accept him. We don't see a commitment. We don't see anything happen. And it seems like the conversation just ends with no fruit whatsoever. It's like, well, was it a waste? The answer is no, it wasn't. And let me take you to the second time that we pick up and we hear about Nicodemus. This is probably months, maybe weeks, but probably months later. So a long time later, where we pick up the next time with Nicodemus, he is with his buddies, the Sanhedrin, the 70 men who rule and say, this is what you do, this is what you don't do. They're threatened by Jesus. Nicodemus is now in that council. They're in the temple. And the Sanhedrin is, well, let's just say they're, they're fed up with Jesus. Let's say that. They, they want nothing to do with Jesus. They're angry at Jesus. And so they call on the temple guards... You understand what the temple guards were? The temple guards were muscle, right? These are the guys that hit anytime fitness all the time. And then they come back to the temple and they'd be like, okay, what do you, Sanhedrin, what do you want us to do? Boom. 
right? Seriously, the temple guard are like, that's, they're the muscle. They do the bidding of the Sanhedrin. And so the Sanhedrin are like, we need to stop this Jesus guy. And so they send the temple guards to arrest Jesus and haul him back in so that they can interrogate him, basically, and convict him of whatever they want to convict him of. So I want to pick up the story when the temple guards return to the Sanhedrin. John chapter 7, this is the second time we hear about Nicodemus. When the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, so they were supposed to, but they didn't, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring Jesus in? Catch what the guards say, I love this. We have never heard anyone speak like this. The guards responded. In other words, they were taken by Jesus. They're like, this guy's amazing. Have you been led astray too? The Pharisees mocked. Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees, they're talking about the Sanhedrin, who believes in him? This foolish crowd, they're talking about normal, regular people. This foolish crowd follows Jesus, but they are ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. Now catch what Nicodemus does. Then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing? Yes. Now this may not seem like mind-blowing moment, but it is. What Nicodemus has just done is in front of all of the Sanhedrin, the guys that can do anything they want to him, and a, 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 a council that he's a member of, a wealthy elite member of this council, like you do not get here easily. That took probably his entire life to make it to this status, Nicodemus did. Everything he's worked for is in that council, the Sanhedrin. And now it's obvious that the Sanhedrin is treating Jesus unfairly. They are not looking at this through eyes of truth. They're looking through false eyes and lies. And so Nicodemus asks a very cautious, did you notice that it was cautious? But a very clear question of their motives. He calls them into question and he does it publicly with every one of them. Now, this is a big deal because before, in John chapter 3, several weeks or several months before, Nicodemus was only willing to meet with Jesus under cover of darkness, in secret. And now, Nicodemus has moved clearly into the public zone of saying, okay, I'm thinking about this Jesus a little bit more, and I think we're not giving him what he really deserves. This is a big change. So did Jesus' presence, that conversation at night, change Nicodemus? You better believe it did. In fact, I didn't share this, but do you know what Jesus said at the very end of that conversation that they had under cover of darkness? I love this because this is exactly why Nicodemus... None of this is coincidence. None of this is by mistake. This is the last thing. I'm going to read the two verses. This is the very last thing that Jesus said to Nicodemus before the conversation ended. Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light, so others can see that they are doing what God wants. 
That was the last thing Jesus said to Nicodemus. And then a few months later, what does Nicodemus do? Nicodemus steps into the light and exposes the sin and the darkness of the Sanhedrin. How amazing is that? Like Jesus says, if you're evil, you're going to stay under darkness. They're talking at nighttime. <laughs> this, is like, this is like Jesus telling Nicodemus, dude, you don't need to be ashamed of me anymore. This is ridiculous. And Nicodemus was changed. He was changed. He was transformed by that conversation, by the presence of Jesus. And so this is another important question. The first one is, what are you going to do to bring people to Jesus and Jesus to people in your life? Really important. But here's another really important question. What is God asking you to bring into the light? What is God asking you to step into the light? Because if we hide in darkness, according to Jesus, we're trying to cover up evil. What needs to come into the light? Addiction? Maybe some of you are here and you've had questions about God, about faith, about Jesus. You've had significant questions about the Bible. You're curious about it. You're not sure about it. You have a lot of questions. You've, you've read the books on science and you're like, man, something doesn't quite line up. I don't, I don't know how science and the Bible jives. I don't know how they sync up. You have significant questions, but you've been in the dark. You've been lurking. You're a creepy Christian. That just came to my mind. <laughs> now you know my mind is creepy sometimes. Don't be a creepy Christian. Seriously. Get it into the light. Ask the question. What are you scared of? Do you think that your pastor, like if you come to me and ask this question, be like, I just don't understand how dinosaurs work with the Bible. I know a lot of you have that question. Good, ask that question. You know what? It actually works perfectly. No problems here at all. None. God is real. Jesus is real. The Bible's true. Done. Do you think I'm going to be like, oh my goodness, you're asking about dinosaurs? You don't get it? You're so dumb. That's not what I'm going to do. You know how excited I get about questions? I'm a teacher. Questions are like what I live for. We've got to come out of the darkness. We've got to stop being creepy Christians. I'm using that, man. We're doing that. <laughs> what is God asking you to bring into the light? What needs to come out of the darkness so that you can be public with your faith? You guys know I've said this and I'll keep harping on this until the day I die. Your faith has to be personal, but it was never designed or expected to be private. That is a lie that this part of our country, because of our church backgrounds, has taught that is a lie. Respectful of God does not mean quiet, secret. 
Reverence does not mean I never talk about Jesus. In fact, I would say, I'm about to dig in. If you're quiet about Jesus, it's not reverent, it's irreverent. Sometimes things that people call holy are actually darkness and evil. Yeah, I just said that some churches are preaching evil. I'm sorry, but it's true. What do we need to bring into the light? All right, so we've learned a little bit of the backstory on Nicodemus, right? The first time we see him, he has this secret conversation under cover of dark. And then the next time we see Nicodemus, he actually steps out of the darkness into the light to expose the Sanhedrin. I'm sure they loved that moment, by the way. To expose the darkness in the Sanhedrin by asking this question. Now I want to go back to that third moment, the one that we started with at the beginning. Do you remember? Jesus has just died on the cross. His body is hanging there, and somebody needs to take care of it. And this guy named Joseph and Nicodemus is the guy who actually takes Jesus down from the cross and takes care of his body. Have we changed our understanding of Nicodemus in this moment? It's a powerful backstory. And I want to read for you what it says that Nicodemus did. I want to remind us. I already read this once at the beginning, but let me read just one verse. With Joseph came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. I want us to understand the gravity of this statement. It seems like just a, a logistical kind of filler statement in Scripture. It's not. Understand what has just happened. Nicodemus has just in the daylight where everybody can see them. Crucifixion was a spectacle. There are a lot of people probably still around. And Nicodemus is going to be clearly seen by the Sanhedrin, by anybody who is there, taking Jesus' body down. This massive amount of spices, 75 pounds. Just so that we're clear, that amount was only fit for royalty in that culture. Royalty. This was a small fortune that Nicodemus has just sacrificed. The extravagant generosity of Nicodemus in this moment is, is incredible. He sacrifices a small fortune in order to take care of Jesus' body in this moment. Nicodemus has fully stepped out. He's making a statement to the world, I am in with Jesus. I'm in. This guy, Jesus, he is who he says he is, and I'm following him. Nicodemus went from being ashamed of Jesus to being amazed by Jesus to accepting Jesus and following him. That is quite the transformation. That is quite the backstory. And so it was a journey, it was a process. We understand this. It didn't happen overnight, but this slowly changed who Jesus wanted Nicodemus to be. Nicodemus was completely transformed. And this is really what it comes down to. It comes down to we allow ourselves to be changed by Jesus, and then we lead other people to be changed by Jesus. 
right? In other words, let me put it this way. We chase Jesus and we bring as many people with us as possible, right? We chase Jesus and we bring people with us. Chase Jesus, bring people with us. Chase Jesus, bring people with us. Here's what, here's what some people do. We chase Jesus. This is me chasing Jesus. You got it? All right. But we leave everybody behind. This would be like me coming up with a cure for cancer and me keeping it secret so that my family can benefit from it, but nobody else can. Well, that, that's not good. If I'm running and I'm chasing after Jesus, I'm seeking God's truth, but I don't bring anybody with me, I just say, you spend eternity separated from God. That's fine. Totally good with that. That's darkness. That's evil. Talking. And what God invites us into is to love God and love people, to chase Jesus and bring people with us. In fact, how I want to end this morning is simply by calling up one of the most famous, it's probably the most famous verse the most quoted verse, and the most memorized verse in all of Scripture. You know when it happened? It happened in that conversation with Nicodemus that night in John chapter 3. You guys know what I'm talking about? Jesus in the middle of that conversation, right in the middle, we usually don't realize that the context, where the context of this verse is, we throw it out there in a reference and we throw it out there because we memorized it, but it's right in the middle of this conversation. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus and he says to Nicodemus this amazing, radical, controversial statement. He says, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, in Jesus, would not perish, they would not die, but have eternal life. They could just spend the rest of their eternity with Jesus. This is the essence of the gospel. That's why we quote it. That's why we memorize it. God loved everyone. Now, this was... This was crazy to Nicodemus. You understand that Nicodemus and the Sanhedrin, they believed that God's salvation was for the Jewish people and the Jewish nation. That's who they thought salvation was for. They didn't think it was for the rest of the world. They thought it was for the Jewish people. That's what they've been taught. That's what they've been told. And so they believe that. And so now Jesus is sitting in front of Nicodemus and he's about to blow his mind. Jesus says, no, God so loved everyone, he loves people so much that he's going to sacrifice his son so that anyone, not just Jewish people, anyone can have salvation. Love God, love people. I, I love this because you can come to Christ, you can give your life to Jesus at any point, at any time, because Jesus has already paid the price for you. I remember I accepted Jesus uh, early on as a kid. I still remember. Sunday school teacher, teacher talked about it. I wanted to give my life to Christ, and so I prayed with my parents, and I, re I remember that. Obviously, since then, I've made major serious recommitments to Christ in different ways, including allowing God to drag me into ministry. I'm just kidding. I wasn't kicking and screaming, not at that point anyway before I was. 
We just had five teenagers from our church give their life to Christ for the first time just a few weeks ago at NTS camp. Never the same camp. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's amazing. What the, I'm just, just so that we're clear, like we don't talk about it this way, but I just want you to be clear. When those teenagers pass from this earth, that means that they will not go to hell, they'll go to heaven. That's a big deal. <laughs> like, they won't be tortured forever. Yes, that's a good thing. I know we don't like to say that out loud, but that's the truth. That, like, you, you understand that we celebrated like crazy the people that were at the camp, and then, and then we shared the video. The reason we share that is because this is a big deal. This is why we exist, to chase after Jesus and have eternity with God and bring as many people into eternity with God with us. That's why we're here. Just like with Nicodemus. Jesus knew Nicodemus needed him. And thankfully, Nicodemus was curious enough to put down the barriers and come and seek him secretly at first and then publicly. A lot of you uh, don't, maybe don't know this yet, but uh, we have an amazing couple in our church, Red and Jenny uh, Corwin. And um, Red's been battling pancreatic cancer for the last few weeks, and just this last week he passed. And the reason I share that is this. You're going to die. I know that sounds morbid, but I'm just... I'm, at Northridge, we're always going to speak the truth, no matter how hard it is to hear and two things that I absolutely loved about Red, there's a lot of things, but there's two things I absolutely loved. He was really, really open and honest about his struggles in life. And God helped him defeat them, by the way, in a powerful way. And two, he was not ashamed of his faith in Jesus. I talked with him multiple times over the last several weeks. Several of you from Northridge, from our church, went to visit him and talked with him. I know that. Thank you. The most important thing you will ever do is to put your hope, put your trust, and choose to believe in Jesus as your Savior. And then, bring as many people with you as possible. And so I leave you this question. Are you following Jesus? Are you willing to follow Jesus? And are you willing to be bold and courageous enough to help other people follow Jesus as well? Just like Jesus transformed Nicodemus' life, that's what God wants to do with your life, and that's what God wants you to help other people see realized in their life. Are you following Jesus? Will you follow Jesus? And who are you going to bring along with you? Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, I thank you for your love that is so, 
so great. I thank you for the the fact that you love us so much that you gave yourself, you died, you, you sacrificed your life for us. You gave us hope of salvation. You gave us the opportunity to lead people from here, from this earth, into eternity with you. Just like you said to Nicodemus, we simply need to be born again. We're born physically, but then we need to be born spiritually. And so if there's anybody in here who has never taken a step to give their life to Jesus, I pray that they would do that right now, today. Help them to come out of the darkness, out of the shadows, to stop being hidden. Help them to to stop being creepy Christians, as, as we were saying. God, may they step into the light. May they step out and they realize that the salvation, the death on the cross and the resurrection from the grave gives them opportunity for forgiveness for their sin and that they simply need to believe in that. Believe in you, Jesus. Help them to accept you. Believe that today. And for those of us in here who we've already given our life to Jesus, help us to be Christians who live out in the light. Help us not to stay hidden in the dark. We might fear what people are going to say. We might even fear that we might lose a friendship or two. God, help us not to be scared by things of this world and the darkness that we think is going to surround us. The way out of the darkness is to step into the light, and yet we stay hidden. God, help us to step into the light, just like Nicodemus did in his life. And I look forward to the massive amount of people who are going to come to you, who are going to come to know you, Jesus, because of our church, because of the people in our church. We look forward to that, God. We expect that. We get excited about that. So help us to live for you, help us to chase you, and bring everybody we can with us. We pray all of this and we ask all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen.